Alrighty, folks. Howdy and hello. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you? I'm doing well. I just uh, I just finished ten days of staycation, so I'm feeling really good. Oh, very nice. I feel a little recovered and rejuvenated. Good. Yeah. Just rest. Take it easy the entire time. Yeah, it was uh, it was a staycation. I just spent the time at the house. Um, my boys were in for a few days, which was great. Both my sons and Charlotte took off a couple of those days that I was home also. So we just hung out and enjoyed our house. I The thing I most enjoyed was uh, working on some projects around the house and things that I don't always have time to do. Mm. I, I get them done, but it's always kind of in a hurry, squeezing them between one thing and the next. But this was I could just take my time and and really enjoy the process. And so um, I got a couple things done. I went to local um, San Antonio Art Museum one day and spent the afternoon mm. walking around looking at art, which is which is really fun for me as an artist. And um, watched a couple of movies and uh, slept late, did some training sessions. And yeah, so I had a good time. Good. The uh, art museum, I'm always weary about going to them because I don't think that abstract art is art. Just a little opinion of mine. Right. Just because it just looks like hotel art most of the time. <laughs> and Allie likes it. And I was like, yeah, I really want to have art in my house. And uh, or in our house. And she was like, oh, yeah, me too. And then we do not like the same thing. You don't like the same art. No. No. Well, that's the nice thing. I, you know, I went to the San Antonio Museum of Art. There's really three museums art museums in San Antonio. I, I had time to go to that one. Um, they have a they have a really broad collection of um, different period of art and then different cultures of art. And uh, they have a very small section that would be sort of your modern impressionistic sort of stuff that you're saying mm-hmm. you don't really see as art. And I don't either. I, I don't, I appreciate it as as art, it's a contribution to art, but it's not anything I really find uh, beautiful or compelling. So I enjoy stuff that took a whole lot more, I would say, a whole lot more talent and time to, to produce. And and they, they have some great examples of wonderful art. I spent most of my time over in the section where they have sculptures because I'm a sculptor. Mm-hmm. So. I was sort of looking for some new ideas and some different approaches. And uh, it it is absolutely amazing to me uh, what artists do with marble. I work with clay. It's easy. You can fix something if you don't get it right, whereas marble's very unforgiving. And the amount of patience and skill that it takes to craft some of those amazing sculptures out of marble is, is really quite amazing to me. So... Uh, I was, I don't know, I was there maybe four hours or so just hanging out. Yeah. That's kind of what you have to do at a museum like that. If you go in rushed, no, it's, it's not even really fun. Yeah, that's that's why my wife never joins me because <laughs> her level of interest in that is very different than mine, and she's she moves at a much different pace than I do. And uh, we have some funny experiences in our marriage where we went to things together, and she was done in about... 20 minutes and I come out four hours later. <laughs> then she just gets to yeah. wait. So we just, uh, 
we just do that differently. So I went by myself knowing that that wasn't going to be a good time for her. Nice. Well, I also just got back from, I guess it'd be considered a vacation. Um, we went to Pittsburgh, which is where Allie has a lot of friends and family friends and some family. And we also went to Tennessee before. But it wasn't what I would necessarily call. I, it was a great time. Enjoy the trip. But it wasn't necessarily what I would call a, a restful time. I'm learning that Allie, my fiance, um, likes to block off like time blocks on vacation, uh-huh. which is confusing to me. But so she's very structured about <laughs> yeah. how you go about the vacation. Yes, yeah, so we have a schedule, which yeah, you know Charlotte does too. Charlotte's a very structured person, and when she goes on vacation, it just is magnified because she comes from the perspective of, hey, how often are we here at this really special place? So let's, at the crack of dawn, let's start, you know, enjoying all the sights and doing all the things and do that all the way until bedtime and then just start over again the next day. And and it took her a few years, and especially for my sons, to become of an age where they made it known that, they weren't quite as interested in getting started as early in the morning on a vacation as she mm-hmm. had typically insisted. So what she's learned to do is she gets up early and goes and does some things by herself, and the rest of us kind of hatch a little bit more slowly in the morning, and then we uh, we join her in doing lots of – we get a lot of fun things done. But, yeah, uh, the three boys in our family, we all run a little different pace than – and my wife. Yeah. 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 And, and Allie's probably the same way. She just had so much stuff that she wanted to do and so many things that she wanted to see and people to meet or people for me to meet. Um, so she, this was sort of like your, uh, she was showing you off. This is, uh, yes. My husband to be. Yes. There were some of those. There was only, I've only granted her father's passed away. And so he would obviously be able to say what I'm about to say, but there's this thing that people like to do where they're like, I need to give my approval. <laughs> and there's only one person that I've really met that has qualified, and that's her grandfather, which I met, and he did. Um, he also wasn't weird about it. But I, these, some of these people try to act all tough to try to, like, scare me. <laughs> Asking you Yeah, and he questions. was like, one of them was like, oh, man, Allie's dad always said that whenever she brought a guy that she was going to marry around. He was going to be like at the kitchen table or whatever, cleaning his rifle. And, 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 and I'd be like, wouldn't work on me. There's guns everywhere in my house. <laughs> I just walk up and be like, Oh, what kind you got? And so, but anyways, <laughs> yes, he was, she was showing me off and, and I met her maid of honor, which I'd met her best friend. So all her people are there. She's kind of alone down here other than me. Yeah. But, but it was good. It was a really good time. And her brother came with us, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good to be away from work, but it was a very packed trip. Yeah. Very packed trip. Yeah, my, my staycation was very intentional. I needed a little uh, break from uh, the focus and the pace of my job as a pastor of this church. And um, I needed a little reprieve from the what is a constant part of my job is always preparing the next message or <laughs> developing the next series of messages, which again, I love to do. It's kind of my sweet spot, but 
you got to come up for air every now and then. So taking two Sundays off where I didn't have to speak, I didn't have to prepare something, was really, really nice. And it's always good to be able to leave my church family or our church family into good hands. So Kristen Burford did one of our Sunday uh, messages. She did an outstanding job. And then we had a special guest, Jeremy Afel, come in and share the story of his faith journey. And uh, so it was nice to know that the church was in good hands, but I also could um, take a little break. Yeah. Yeah, if there's a box to place yourself in, teaching every week is quite the box. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah, and I made a commitment years ago, and um, I don't think I've failed to make the commitment, is I don't ever reuse old material. Everything I develop is new. Now, I cover similar topics. I mean, over the course of 25 years, that would be inevitable. But Yeah, there's some staples. Yeah, so I, I talk about similar topics from time to time, but it's all new, fresh material that I create. And, you know, it's not like I can just dip into, you know, a curriculum. Uh, I have to develop it all from scratch. And again, I, I love to do it and, and it gives me a lot of uh, satisfaction to, to do it. But uh, taking a break from now, now and then is, is really good. When I worked in student ministry, we used a curriculum from time to time. And even whenever they had everything prepared, I would end up rewriting the entire thing anyways. Yeah. And so it was more of just a calendar with some topics. But but anyways, well, good. Well, we had both had good trips, and uh, all of that to say actually goes well with what we're going to talk about today, um, which was somewhat planned. But uh, today we're going to talk about balancing work and rest, and um, which I think is a really important topic for today. You know, it seems like we can do everything a lot faster than we used to be able to do, yet we have no extra time. In fact, we probably have less time that we aren't working or staying busy than we perhaps used to. You know? Yeah, yeah. Our, our culture's certainly changed with the, you know, the development and advance of technology and, and industry has certainly created some advantages. The unfortunate part of that is the sin nature in human beings will abuse it or misuse it. And so, yeah, we have a lot of advantages on how productive we can be these days, but then that can also create problems in our life. And um, some of the advances of technology and, and industry has just created other addictions to the addiction to accomplishment, the addiction to you know productivity, the addiction to an efficiency that just creates everything from you know, stress, uh, workaholism, um, people defining themselves by their work and by their productivity, which aren't always good things, good healthy things for the human soul. Yeah, yeah, I, I see it in people closer to my age, but I think it's fairly common across the board as far as generations go. I think a lot of people almost feel uh, weird if they're not doing something. And I don't know if that's necessary. I think it's probably both, but there's an outside pressure for that, like a cultural thing, because I do think that uh, achievement and work and working hard and going the extra mile has been kind of this staple value, at right. least in America. Um, but then there's also this internal pressure, or at least maybe it's a fear of not wanting to even be alone with oneself 
Yes. Which, which can really keep you busy. Um, like I know for myself, I being young and not really having like a career mm-hmm. yet, at least that I'm, you know, I guess a career can be defined weird, but um, I always feel like I'm not there yet. And so I just have to keep going. I don't actually produce anything extra, but I, it just makes me feel less bad about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, again, because of the way that our culture and our society establishes values and there is a value placed on success and you know being productive and industrious and and creating or con, you know, contributing to society um, then the person who isn't running at that pace and who isn't contributing in the same way can be made to feel less than and then where that gets really wild is if somebody is an otherwise a positive or successful contributor, but they take a day off or they take a nap or they have a slow weekend, um, there's still this sort of sense of expectation, like why aren't you running at feverish pace and therefore you're being lazy or you're being apathetic or you're not you're being uh, productive. And it's just gotten out of balance. Yep. And I see it a lot. You know, it's interesting. Um, you call somebody in the middle of the day, and if you wake them up, they are mortified that you have called and caught them, quote-unquote, taking a nap. They're like, they're just, you can tell they're doing everything not to let on that mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. And, and I don't know, I don't know their life. I don't know what their day's been. I don't know what their week's been. I don't know what... Um, but I don't assume that just because you're taking a nap in the middle of the afternoon that somehow you're a lazy, apathetic human being. You you may have been up all night with a sick kid, or you may have the very rare occasion that you have an afternoon off, and uh, you're enjoying the opportunity for some peace and quiet. And, and that I think that's some of the craziness of this fast-paced, um, success-oriented world that we live in and how we define all of that. It does, it creates some uh, turmoil in our soul and how we see ourselves, and I think that can be really unfortunate. You know, and, and I agree, and, and even for young people, like it's not only just, a, I guess, as part of the success pressure, but, um, you know, that's uh, the ability to, gain and produce resources. So, uh, you know, having a job that pays well or bringing home money uh, puts a lot of pressure on, I think, in particular, men um, if they're wanting to be attractive to women. It's like mm-hmm. unmarried men, like same people my age, they have a lot of pressure to do that. And so they, they don't focus on, say, uh, becoming the type of, uh, building the type of character they'd right. like to have and instead spend more time just running the quote-unquote rat race and so there's all kinds of pressures that, like, yes, it is the success thing, but it's also like, well, do you want to have, do you want a long-term partner? Well, that's one of the main things that people, that women look for right. um, in men. Um, yeah, yeah. so in that scenario, the, the distinction would be, is a young man modeling the discipline and the initiative and the... Um, dependability to hold down a job, uh, to be 
um, a contributing member of society versus is he wealthy? Yeah. Those are different things. Yes. And if a woman, a young woman is looking for, you know, a spouse, there's wisdom to look for a young man who's productive and dependable and has initiative and can hold down a job and, and, uh, understands the nature of, um, having a career and providing yeah. versus she's just looking for somebody who's really wealthy or will be really wealthy. Those are totally different searches. And they're like you said, they're totally different character issues. Yep. And so, um, the wise woman, I, I think I could make a biblical case for this. The wise woman would be looking for the dependable, trustworthy, self-disciplined, uh, young man who has the initiative and the will to work and provide versus necessarily somebody who just makes a lot of money. Yep. Because the making a lot of money isn't necessarily a guarantee that will last forever. Whereas the character virtuous, self-disciplined, industrious young man or young woman, if we reversed the scenario, um, that's that's something that's truer to who they are that will last, that could last, uh, be a much more reliable attribute for the rest of their life. That's also what they're going to find attractive later on because you see so many, you know, uh, say husbands or whoever the primary breadwinner is, if that's the only thing they're bringing to the table, that becomes less attractive after about a year into marriage, I would imagine. Um, you know, I've seen so many dads that are basically just checked out. All they do is bring home a check. Yeah. But they don't do anything else. Yep. Kids don't have a relationship with them. And it's it, it's horrible for the kid. And, like, I've seen my friends go through such things, and that was why they even admit to it. Um, and so it's crazy. But maybe we should do an episode on those types of <laughs> topics. Yeah, um, I mean, I, in my, you know, role as a pastor, I've known plenty of men who... That's what they think is the sum total of their contribution as a dad yep. and as a husband is bringing home a paycheck and providing a really great life of big house, nice cars, fancy vacations, expensive clothes, you know, the whole lifestyle thing. But dad isn't engaged. Dad isn't involved. Dad doesn't mentor and model. Dad's not involved in the discipline of, of the family, except maybe with a heavy hand. Um, he's not really a father in a caring, uh, constructive sort of way in the life of his child. And he's, he's totally convinced in his head, I'm a good dad because I provide a good living. Yep. And it just couldn't be further away from the truth about what a dad is or even what a husband is. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting scenario again, that we see often in our contemporary culture and society and the have, confusion about all that i'll have female friends they'll be like oh th this so-and-so they don't really know him but the only thing they'll ever say about him oh he's an engineer or hell he's going into med school and i'm like <laughs> okay what else about it does he love jesus how about that <laughs> no okay but he's an engineer he's an Ooh. engineer so there's a tell you what salary that'll come with that uh-huh yeah. uh-huh but anyways um i guess one more piece on money that I found interesting. You were talking about the difference between wealth and just making enough to provide, you know, to uh, fulfill the need. 
Um, there was a study done. It was probably years ago, so this number's probably gone up, especially now. But the your level of happiness doesn't increase after you hit about 60,000, the household. The, like you can make $2 million and the level of happiness isn't going to go up. Um, which I just found interesting. It's like nothing really changes after that. Yeah. Once you can survive and, you know, the tax collector is not on your door, it doesn't really change. It might for short bursts. Sure. But it's not a long term. Yeah. Well, that's certainly not my income bracket, but I have had the opportunity of knowing several people who live in a completely different financial picture than I ever will. Um, and all good. I mean, they're productive, uh, industrious, hardworking people who've, you know, earned earned that wealth. But one of the things that I've noticed about them and their life is, with the accumulation of wealth, almost always be, uh, comes the cum- accumulation of things. So there's now the lake house, and there's the hunting lease, and there's, you know, the the boat and the the four cars or vehicles and and what all that comes with is maintenance yep they have to you know fix this and repair that and because they're not out at the lake every week lots of things go wrong and so they they go out to the lake uh, uh, to enjoy it but they spend all the time fixing stuff so that that's probably a bit of the contributing the factor that their happiness doesn't increase even though they have accumulated the things they've just accumulated also the responsibility for those things and that's not always what it's portrayed to be in the commercials yes yeah yeah and it's crazy it feels like maybe wealth isn't the uh solution to joy and contentment imagine well, that imagine where where would we have ever heard that before? i don't know <laughs> i don't know at all buddha but um, so balance between work and rest, uh, I think it's, I think it could be important to discuss the necessity and importance of both of those two items. Yeah. Um, cause people kind of see, I think work is just being this thing that you just have to do begrudgingly, um, which is why you get paid. Um, and they don't necessarily see like they always think. Oh, I'd rather just be on a beach somewhere, right? Drinking a margarita or something, um, and not you know being productive. And so do, I, I don't know. Do you have anything maybe that you find necessary or important about work itself? Well, uh, let me begin with the. You know, we talk a lot about design in our conversations on this podcast. And again, I'm, I'm just a big fan of God has a design. He is a designer. And he created things with purpose. And I think if you do a study through the scriptures and put all the pieces together, what you find out is that there was a design for work in human life and in human society. And there was a design for leisure or rest or recreation in human life and in human society. And so um, I do think that they have value and they have purpose. They have... um, you know, some sort of a, a distribution to be managed in our life. Not because it makes a living for us, but because that's the way God intended us to live. Mm. He intended us as human beings to be contributors, to be industrious, to be responsible. He also intended for us as human beings that in our 
you know, in in the demands of our responsibility and our dependability and our industrious nature to take breaks, to have a breather, to rest and relax and recreate as a way of re- renewing our soul, our body, our mind, so that we can go back to the productivity of our work. In fact, um, you know, one of my favorite books in the Bible, my favorite is the book of Proverbs, and then similar to it because it's wisdom literature, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And there's a theme that is very prominent in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's almost like this cycle is you work, you rest, you work, you rest. You work so that you have the means to enjoy your rest, and then you enjoy your rest so that you're then refreshed to go back and do your work. And so the writer of, of Ecclesiastes, I've always described it as, you know, kind of a man, uh, it's his journal, and he's recording sort of the experience and observations of a midlife crisis that that may be a, a little bit of a license there, but it's certainly a journal of a man's experience. And one of the observations that we learn from the book of Ecclesiastes is that there's this cycle between work and rest, work and rest, work and rest, and it's part of God's design. So again, as we've talked about um, in this podcast in previous episodes, whenever I honor the design of God, then I reap the blessings that come with the design. And whenever I ignore or abuse the design, then I'm going to reap the consequences of ignoring God's design. So if I honor the design of God for work or labor, and I honor the design of God for rest and and leisure, then I'm going to experience the blessings that come with that. And when I ignore it, then I shouldn't be surprised that there's going to be um, pushback or, or a downside to the way that I'm going about living my life. And and one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that both, uh, uh, again, I'll try not to get myself in trouble here, but I, I do think that there's there's wisdom in this, that both work and leisure can become idols. So God's inviting us to balance. There's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with leisure as long as they're they're honored within their proper balance. And balance isn't necessarily a 50-50 equal distribution. It's just that work has a place, leisure has a place. And when we honor the, the distribution of their places in our life, then we reap the rewards. But when we dishonor it, essentially what happens is we either make work an idol that we bow down to and worship, or the opposite is we can make leisure, rest, relaxation, comfort, convenience, all the, you know, the play side of life. We can make that our idol, and we end up bowing down and serving it at the sacrifice of more important uh, priorities, namely uh, spiritual priorities. So, yes, I, I do think that it's part the design, and when we honor the design, we reap the rewards the risk is that as human beings whose hearts are depraved, we can make work a god or an idol, mm-hmm. or we can make leisure the idol that we you know pursue and we sacrifice for and, and we neglect other important things to, to enjoy. And when we do that, we're just seeing the wisdom of God 
bear out because inevitably there's there's consequences to be paid. In the Garden of Eden, I know after the fall, so after Eve eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they sin, and sin enters the world, I know that one of the punishments was that work was going to be difficult, and thorns and things right. were going to grow up. So that means that work was before, correct? Yes. Even in the paradisal Eden? Paradisal? Is that a word? I don't yeah. know. You just made it up. I, I like that. it. I like it. I, I, come up, I, I make up <laughs> words that sound just enough that most people won't ask, but you're a <laughs> linguistic person. Like conversate. I use that word all the time. Not a conversate, word. probably not a word. Sounds great, though. It sounds awesome. Should be. In this conversation, Wyatt, it is a word. Um, nice. So, yes, in... The paradise of the creative order that God established before the fall, work was a part of the design. They were to manage the garden. They were to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. They, they had responsibility to manage the stewardship that God entrusted to their care. And because that work was part of God's perfect creation— then it was going to be an enjoyable, satisfying, fulfilling endeavor. And they would have gone about their work without the least bit of you know stress or resentment or burden. And then the fall happens, and the fall ruins everything. Sin ruins everything that God had created, and it gets its ugly fingers into the, that which was perfect, and everything's compromised or contaminated in some way. And so, yes, work takes on a whole different uh, dynamic. It becomes uh, burdensome. Uh, it becomes hard to where I resent it and I um, seek to avoid it. Um, the nature of, of depravity means I, I look for the easy way to get through life rather than having to do the hard stuff. And so, yeah, uh, work was a part of God's original design, and uh, I think I think it's clear all through Scripture. God keeps calling people back to the design of work, and God consistently throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, admonishes the person who's lazy, who's not a contributing member, who's not uh, doing their part to carry their fair share. Um, that's admonished. That's that's. Um, confronted, particularly in the New Testament church. There are several examples of that. And so, yeah, God designed work as part of the original um, intent for how human beings would live these fulfilling, satisfying, enjoyable lives. Unfortunately, sin compromised it. And so now you have everything from I make work my God and I, I live for it to I... Um, I choose to live in a lousy working situation and I just tolerate what I need to do to get through the week and pay my bills so that I can, you know, live to the weekend. And, and none of those, neither of those scenarios or anything in between are, are really how God intended it. Yeah, maybe that was the punishment, is the, the need to work for the resources. I, I would imagine that in Eden, he didn't have, I, I would take a guess that maybe you didn't have to work for the resources to survive, but now you you have to. And so that's what makes it more begrudging, perhaps. Um, 
Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying, meaning the the perfection of the garden, um, if you're just looking at the basic needs of like food and water and and um, whatever housing uh, accommodations they may have needed in that scenario, uh, that would have been amply provided. Things would have flourished by way of, of growth. Um, water would have been plentiful and pure and and the resources of, you know, wood or whatever they might have used to build dwellings would have been plentiful. Uh, then the fall, and it, it became, you know, the sweat of their, their brow and, and thorns and thistles, meaning it just got harder, and it wasn't as um, prosperous to their convenience. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know... Jesus always refers to himself, but also to bring back the relationship between a, a person and God as being the thing that will, you know, make you never thirst again, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's fulfilling your needs, uh, and it's God being, say, the ultimate provider. Um, I, it makes sense that whenever sin enters the world and we're separated from God, well, now we have to do some of that ourself to a certain degree. Um, but I also really like talking about that, about like how we're made for work. Be, and I like to bring in, I like psychology. And so like even how uh, our, the our brain chemicals are set up, we, we're rewarded whenever we achieve something, whenever we work at something, and mm-hmm. then we actually get rewarded mentally. And it's dopamine. Um, whenever we have a goal, we do the things necessary to get there. And we achieve it because then, we're, well, then we reward it, but then we want like the next goal. That bit, that process can become an idol, like you were saying, right? But we were also created. That, that process was created, but if it was taken, if it's taken out of its balance, um, I just love how literally the chemicals in our head, our biology, also is a reflection of the design that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the creator. <laughs> He anticipated, excuse me, he anticipated everything. So, yeah, I, I think that's part of his design is the feeling of reward and satisfaction and fulfillment that comes through working hard, finishing the job, achieving your objective. Uh, God wired us to experience that. And, um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot better feeling when you've done a hard day's work, you've given your employer an honest day's work, you've done your job, you've done it to the very best of your ability, you go home. It's possible that you go home and you relish that I'm capable of doing that, I'm being compensated for it. That felt good, as opposed to literally wasting an entire day doing nothing. Yep. When you could be working. Um, so the person who cheats at their job, the person who, you know, looks for every easy way to get out of taking on responsibility or, or doing the extra, um, they, they don't, they don't reap the same reward. They don't feel the same, uh, benefits or fulfillment. And again, part of design. I, I remember when I was in high school, I, uh, I worked at this restaurant, this local restaurant, and several of my friends from high school worked at the same restaurant. And uh, 
there was this one friend of mine who he was a few years older than I, maybe two years older than I was. So he was like a senior in high school when I would have been a sophomore. And um, he he had a very dramatic conversion experience around the time that he was in high school and became a really committed follower of Christ. And he really was determined to live out his faith at work in this restaurant. And not an obnoxious, you know, kind of way where he was always, you know, uh, gunning for the conversation about, you know, evangelism and Jesus and all that. He, he was always very careful about, I'm here to work. But one of the things that I noticed about him, and I still remember to this day, is that when there was a lull in the restaurant and there weren't orders coming in, the cooks there in the cook lane, they would all just sort of, you know, lean back on the coolers and just wait for an, another order to come up. But he wouldn't. He, he would pick up um, a towel and a, a, a little bucket of water and he would just start scrubbing Mm. and he would clean anything and everything which in a restaurant's almost a non-stop process because of the nature of um, how a restaurant works and so while everybody else was sort of resting he was he was being industrious and it's interesting how many people noticed it that he was working hard even when he quote unquote, didn't have to, he was working hard because that was a way for him to, you know, honor his employment there. And um, I bet you he went home with a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment about an honest day's work, more so than some of the others who sat around and sort of got, took advantage of the opportunity that the employer provided them. Well, and I'm sure he felt like he could. He was proud in a good way of yeah. what he did. Absolutely, and it's like I think there's a verse. It's like in in whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Yeah, that a verse. Yeah. yeah, I know I read it in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> but but no, there's something true about that. It's like no matter where you're at at whatever level, like yeah, you could just be working in a restaurant or whatever it is, or you could be the CEO. If you actually do your best uh, in a balanced way. You can be proud of that and feel honest about it. And, sure. You know. That does it for this episode. Come back next week for part two. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CibolaCreek.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>